The idea is, yes, you take the story, you put it into your mind, and then you begin the important process of learning how to think, essentially. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, September is winding down, which means it's time to turn the page to a new unit. Yes. So today we're going to talk about? Unit three. Which is? Well, retelling narrative stories, of course. That's right. So lots of history behind this unit. You want to share briefly what some of the history is? Well, yeah. You know, it was interesting because Dr. Webster, before he was Dr. Webster, Mm -hmm. was Mr. Webster teaching grade five in Vancouver. In those days, there were certain things that were very well set in terms of curriculum and what teachers should do. And one of those things was how to write science experiment write-ups. Right. Right. So I remember that. You you have one section of your paper is, is for the materials and, and your setup and your hypothesis. And then the next one is for your procedures. And then the end is the outcome of your experiment and your conclusions conclusions about that. And uh, he noticed that all his kids did very well with that because there was this structure to the writing. And so nobody had the problem, I don't know what to write about. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't anything similar for story writing. It was kind of, you know, even in those days, which would have been, gosh, the... 50s, I guess, (laughs) were pretty loose uh, as they are today. Mm -hmm. It's a story, whatever you want to do. And uh, many of the kids kind of floundered on that. So he was over visiting his aunt, Mrs. Anna Ingham, founder of the Blended Soundsight Program of Learning, for a Thanksgiving meal. And she had a little pile of student papers on her coffee table there. And these were grade one and two students. And so he picked them up and started reading through them. And he quickly realized that her little grade one, two kids were writing stories that were better than most of the stories that his grade five students were producing, Mm -hmm. which of course might cause a little consternation. So he said, Aunt Gertrude, how, how do you do this? How do you get these kids to write these good stories? She pulled out a little, in Canadian English, you'd say serviette. A serviette. Which would be a paper napkin okay. <laughs> in, in our vernacular. And she drew out for him the story sequence chart that she had been using with these kids. And it had basically these three parts, which was characters and setting, conflict and, and development, and then climax and resolution. She had not specified the number of paragraphs. It was just, here's all the, the questions you ask to get all of these things in your story, and it comes out better than if you don't have all these things in your story. 
And Webster looked at it and he thought, well, there's three parts that corresponds perfectly with the three-part science experiment write-up that seems to be going quite well. And so he came back and instituted then that three-paragraph model and found it to be hugely successful, uh, a breakthrough for a lot of the kids. And then there's always, you know, some who, well, I can't think of characters or I can't think of problem or whatever. And he said, well, just retell some story you know. Um, you don't have to make up a new story. Just retell something, you mm -hmm. know, kind of the pragmatism of a fifth grade male, fifth grade teacher in Vancouver right. school. And what he found then was that then everyone in the class could find something and, and do it decently well and that they were able to kind of play with and experiment and have fun. And so he developed that over the years. And then, of course, he, he went off to get his Ph.D. in African history. He went off to work and teach in Africa for 16 years. And it wasn't until after he returned from Africa and started helping Mrs. Ingham teach the summer 11-day blended sound site program course in northern Alberta that he— 11 days of teacher training 11 days, summer. yes, uh, <laughs> in the summer, which I suppose, uh, you know, could either be viewed as, as a vacation or a blessing, depending on your attitude about life. <laughs> well, and here's just one more piece of that. The sun doesn't set for very long in that part of the world yes. during the summer. I've been there. <laughs> so those are long days. You've been there. <laughs> um, it is northern. Nor I mean, we're talking five hours north of Edmonton, and we would take over the Alberta Vocational Center for for two weeks and set up and do six days and then five days of teacher training. And uh, that's where Webster really started to gather together all of the elements that he had developed, both in his years of teaching elementary and middle and high school, and also college and university, and put it all together in, in kind of a very huge and rough set of handouts, was where, where I encountered him in 1990. But that Unit 3, to me, has always been a very interesting one, and, and it's one of the tougher ones for teachers and parents who are uh, they're doing their first year through yep. the syllabus. That has been my experience as well. It's a little bit of a leap from Unit 2 to Unit 3. Why is that and why can and how can we how can you help us? Yeah, well, in Unit 2, it's you know, 1 and 2 are so straightforward. Read a sentence, choose three keywords, copy those three keywords, read the next sentence, choose three keywords, copy those keywords, do it till you've finished, put the original away tell it back, write it out. So it's, easy. It's very concrete. Um, you know, the hardest question you have to ask is, which three words should I choose? Mm -hmm. And if your source text is at or below the reading level, it shouldn't be too tough. And you can choose various ones and still have relatively certain success because the idea was pretty intact to start with. With Unit 3, we have shifted off this idea of pulling keywords from the source text. And that's the biggest shift, really. Rather than looking in the sentence or looking on the page for the keywords, instead, we take the source text, we read the whole thing. 
It's a story. It's a fable. It's a myth. It's a fairy tale. It's a, a poem. It's a movie. Anything. It, you know, as long as it has characters, problem, and resolution, you could use it for, as a source text for Unit 3. But, but the, the method is different. You take the source text, put it into your mind. So you read it, read it again if you need to, talk about it, be sure you kind of get it, could tell it back if you needed to, get it into the mind. Then when you put the outline on the paper, you're not looking in the source text for the keywords, you're looking to yourself. You're looking to your own mind. I love how you demonstrate this on video, where you take a piece of paper and <laughs> roll it up, and it's almost like a magic trick. You put it into your brain. Of course, we know you're putting it behind, but that idea of putting it into your mind so that you're not looking at the source text, you're just looking into your mind. I think that's what's really important. Well, it's a very stupid-looking magic trick, but <laughs> the idea is to do something that helps reinforce the idea in the memory of teachers. One of our problems when we teach the uh, TWSS live is we, we compress mm -hmm. what what was even overwhelming for me over 11 days. We compress it into two days right. and hope that everyone's going to remember all the most important parts. Right. And that's why when we, you know, the live training, you know, especially with schools, we always want them to have the video right. so that people can review those units as they work through the school year. So second year of school, moving into unit three, rewatch that part, and then you get to see my lousy magic trick. But <laughs> the idea is, yes, you take the story, you put it into your mind, and then you begin the important process of learning how to think, essentially, mm -hmm. which is the, the whole story, fiction, creative, inventive side of our syllabus by asking the questions that help you pull the story out of your mind. And that's where Mrs. Ingham's story sequence chart, you know, becomes that first tool for thinking about the story. So, you know, some kids, you, you know, they're really sharp. You know, some of them I know here. You just say, well, the first one is characters and setting. The second one is conflict or problem and the development. The third one is resolution and outcome. And that's what you do. And some kids would be like, okay, got it. But other kids would be like, but where do I start? Mm -hmm. So we break that down then in the poster that we recommend or provide for people so that we say, okay, what questions go with character? Well, who's in the story? And there could be one or more characters depending on the story. And what are some additional questions to help you add some detail? So who's in the story? What are they like? What's their situation? What's their circumstance? What's their personality? What's their character? You know, change that into a question. And then setting, we generally think of time and place, so the questions of where and when. Although usually there's some other little element in the story that wouldn't necessarily fall into the category of when or where, but is necessary for the story. So it's kind of part of the what we might call the setup. Mm -hmm. So I think perhaps that term, the setup, would be a little better than setting mm -hmm. in that it's a little more open-ended. So, you know, the fox and the crow, part of that setup is the cheese. Right. With the bat and the nightingale, part of the setup is the mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. With the Lord of the Rings, part of the setup is the, the ring. ring. <laughs> so you look and, and say, what are all the elements that are kind of necessary to be present for this story to occur in addition to the time and place? 
and that should give you enough. Those questions should give you enough to give that characters and set up at least a, a short paragraph, if not maybe a long paragraph, mm -hmm. to get going. Then the next one, of course, is what's the conflict or problem and how does that unroll? Some people would say plot, but plot is kind of vague. I mean, if you look at and say, well, what does that mean, plot? It's what happens. Well, okay, you know, as I have often said, you can have some some people would just kind of write a story where the characters go here and do this, and then they go here and do that, and then they go here and do this, and they can do that, and they do this and that, and then she gets tired and writes the end. So to enforce this idea, you have to have a conflict, a problem that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. That helps then the student mm -hmm. either create or, or determine what that is. But again, you need a little help. Right. More questions. More questions. More questions. So what does, a, what does one of the characters or more of the characters, what do they want or need? That usually helps to identify a problem or a need or a desire. And, and then the whole process is how is that problem or need or desire solved or fulfilled? Mm -hmm. So we want to find the buried treasure. We want to climb the highest mountain. We want to escape the bad guys, that type of thing. And when, when you can identify that, then the rest of it flows pretty well. And the questions that follow are, okay, well, you got a problem. What's the first thing you have to do? Solve the problem. Solve the problem. you got to think of something, right? And uh, that's really what the word plot means. If you look at it, it means mm. to think or plan, mm. right? Mm. If right. it's a verb. It's true. Yep. So what, how are the characters planning? Mm -hmm. And then uh, how do they interact with each other? What do they say? What kind of conversation happens? What do they do to implement their problem? What do they do to implement their plan to solve their problem? And so all of those things can be a little mixed up, too. I mean, sometimes you discover what they're thinking by what they say. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's just a conversation that solves the problem. And so if you just kind of recycle those till you have enough, what do they want or need? What do they think? What do they say? What do they do? What else do they think? What else do they say? What else do they do? And then, of course, longer stories can be a little more complex because mm -hmm. they can have multiple problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you have one big overarching huge problem, but then you've got other little problems or what sometimes would be called subplots mm -hmm. or clues to discover or you try something that doesn't work, you try something else that doesn't work, third time's a charm. That's mm -hmm. kind of a, a fairy tale formula there. And so uh, part of Unit 3 is helping the students to say, okay, if I've got a story that's long and I can't tell everything that happens along the way, then what's kind of the big overarching problem? Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why it can be kind of a form of helping them learn to limit or summarize. Right. So I think of, for example, The Wizard of Oz. This is a very long story. It may be difficult for a young child to be able to summarize that in just three paragraphs. But an older child, that would be a good exercise. It, it would be a challenge. I, I think it would best be done after a number of easier mm -hmm. stories mm -hmm. had been done. Right. That's why in our materials we generally start out with shorter stories that have only one basic problem right. that need to be solved. And then as they gain in experience, usually over 
a year or two or three, mm-hmm. then we can throw out the more complex stories and say, okay, you still only get three paragraphs, so what are you going to leave out? So that, and then helping them to identify the climax, uh, the turning point, the beginning of the end, that I find is difficult for all of us. Yep. You know, I'll do practicums with uh, teachers or, you know, a live TWSS, and oftentimes that's, well, where, where does this climax hit exactly? Sometimes it's kind of obvious. Sometimes it isn't. But what I've discovered over the years is that if if you just get it all in there somewhere, you don't have to be terribly precise about which event falls where in the story. You know, maybe it falls at the very end of the second paragraph or, mm-hmm. you know, the beginning of the third. It all comes out in the wash. Mm-hmm. But that idea of what changes the circumstance so that the want or need is either fulfilled as in a happy ending, right. or ceases to exist, as in some stories where the main characters die, so they no longer have the want or need to <laughs> be together. A tragedy. A tragedy. So that story sequence chart is so, so effective. And, you know, I will admit when people see it, sometimes they think, well, that's awfully simplistic. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought that when I first saw it. And I thought, well, yeah, this is great for little kids. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, even the great epic stories, they do follow this sequence. They have these elements. And that the best way to help children learn to write better stories on their own is to have them practice kind of imitating, retelling existing stories. And there's a process whereby we can start with that dictated story as it is, kind of like a summary, and then move toward the more original creation. So so speak to that a little bit. How can students who have had some experience with a Unit 3 model expand their thinking? Well, one of my favorite things to do right off is just give them the freedom to elaborate mm-hmm. a little bit. So, you know, I think retelling a story exactly as it is, it's okay. And in some cases, that may be the task. Right. You know, if someone says, summarize this story, right. i.e., don't change anything, just leave some of it out, mm-hmm. that's what they're saying. Okay, I mean, we could do that, but it's kind of boring. <laughs> so I like to, you know, play with it and give them little ideas of how they might, you know, change small elements of the story just to customize it a little bit. And one of the great thing about using uh, Aesop fables, other fables, fairy tales, uh, folk tales of different countries, parables, myths, is that these, these aren't owned by anyone. They've been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. People have been retelling them mm-hmm. in different ways for centuries or millennia. So it's freeing. It, you you can go and retell one of these old old stories, and nobody's going to say, "Oh, you plagiarized," right. you know, "Oh, you stole it," "Oh, you you didn't do something original enough." Because, well, let's face it, uh, name some of the great people who've been retelling other people's stories. Well, Shakespeare would be an obvious one. Nathaniel Hawthorne. C.S. Lewis, the whole Disney Corporation. I was just going to say, yes. So there's no crime in that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why working with those types of stories, 
And, and those stories generally have themes that we can all relate to. They work with themes like, uh, you know, greed as in Midas or mm-hmm. themes as, as, you know, blessed are the innocent uh, as in Cinderella mm-hmm. uh, or be careful what you do as in many Aesop fables. Mm-hmm. And so these themes children relate to, they're meaningful, they apply, they're timeless tales, and they can play with them. So that idea of elaborate is where I like to start. Everyone feel free to just play with this thing. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes you get boys who play with it kind of to an extreme. So, you know, you've got the hare and the tortoise, and instead of the hare deciding to take a nap, he has to go over to his friend's house and play Call of Duty, which he <laughs> gets sucked into for the next five hours because it's such a great game. <laughs> and meanwhile, the tortoise is plodding along because, you know. Okay, well, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, it's obviously Aesop didn't mm-hmm. come up with the thing, but that is the normal possible application in a young boy's mind right. of that situation. Sure. Okay, so there's that first step of elaboration. Then the next step of change it up a little bit. You know, keep the plot, keep the problem, but change the characters and setting. Mm-hmm. So you can move a story from its original setting into some different time and place. And that's very exciting because, of course, as most of our listeners know, one of the things that we really like to do is is encourage people not to make writing a separate subject, you know, in isolation, but a part of learning about everything else. So you have a, a story and, and you may be able to transport that story into mm-hmm. a setting of an historical time period that you're reading and talking about. So like historical fiction. Sure, exactly. And, of course, a lot of very successful authors have essentially done that. Yes. But let's say you have a story like The Boy Who Cried Wolf, and you're studying the American Revolutionary War time period. Mm -hmm. Well, you could write that story, and instead of a boy, you could have a a colonial sentry. Uh, Instead of a wolf, you have a, a British you know, attack. And so you've got the sentry who cried British attack. And and the whole story would unfold very similarly. But you'd be using your knowledge of that time period. Or you could move it to ancient Egypt or uh, medieval period or modern day circumstances. Um, some of the most interesting and best stories I've ever got from kids were parables like the prodigal son set in a modern day right. mm-hmm. situation and really well done and thoughtful. And yeah, you could see the parallel, but isn't that great? Because that's the kids exercising their their moral imagination. Ah, yeah. So there's the lesson to be learned. Now, what characters and setting would allow that lesson to be learned by today's modern right. young person? Right. So you mentioned historical fiction. Could you also actually write about events of history using the story sequence? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of history is conflict and resolution. Mm -hmm. In fact, almost all of history that's worth talking about is conflict 
resolution. Right. So you have a, a problem and you have a discovery such as flight or penicillin. That could be written in a three-paragraph mm-hmm. uh, story sequence model or you have the start of a war or you have a particular battle within a war or uh, you have the problem of, of how do we win the space race. I mean, the possibilities are really limitless. You know, one of the places where teachers and parents get a little uneasy is, well, what if you tell the story of, you know, the Wright brothers, you know, Neil Armstrong on the moon, and you make up a bunch of stuff that you don't have any historical support for? Right. And that's a tough one because, in a way, a lot of people have written stuff for which there's not all that much historical support. <laughs> but on the other hand, we feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it sounds like we're reporting facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think as long as we try to make it clear uh, to the kids, uh, and that's why changing the characters is so helpful. Certainly, I can imagine all sorts of historical events that would fall into a three-paragraph format. And that Analysis, you know, what were the circumstances, what was the problem, and how was it resolved? Had a student do a really good job with a a little summary of Joan of Arc, Mm -hmm. you know, going to talk to the Dauphin and tell him you need to be crowned king and this is how we're going to take back the city and do it. And, you know, lots of people have written semi-fictional accounts of Joan of Arc because... No one was actually there. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I just want to, just a couple questions, kind of both at both ends of the spectrum. We spoke a little bit of how you could adapt Unit 3, for example, for high school. What about primary students, kindergartners who may not be writing? What kind of things could you do with Unit 3? Yeah, well, that story sequence chart is just a great tool to have on the wall mm-hmm. in your teaching environment, whether it's at home or in a classroom. Gosh, I've, I've been reading... Ping, the story of Ping, because I have a four-year-old grandson who, for some reason, uh, is happy to listen to me read Ping three times in a row Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the same day (laughs) every time I see him. Yes. Well, okay, so you could have a conversation with a four-year-old. Who's in the story? Ping. Who else? Well, you know, his aunts and uncles and brothers and cousins— where are they? Well, they go into this boat and they float around on the beautiful Yangtze, Yangtze River. River. Read that um, once or twice myself. And I have never figured out what why yellow water would be particularly beautiful, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know. So, what's the problem? Well, Ping doesn't want to get a spank. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so you could actually just use that story sequence chart. You know, if it's on the wall, boom, you know, you can actually point to it and refer mm-hmm. to it. And if you've got it in your mind, you mm-hmm. just work through it. Take any story you read with young children, ask those questions, and you're helping them develop their analytical ability to look at something a little more objectively. You're encouraging their narration to be able to tell back, you know, things that happened in the story in a structured sequential way. I mean, it's narrative means it goes through time. So there's that. And uh, you can even use the last part of the chart. Well, you know, what, what do they learn? What's the lesson? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, you know, what, what's the point of the story? Sometimes those questions can help kids think a little more deeply too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what does Ping learn? Well, 
it's better to get your spank and stay with your family than to be stranded and almost lose your life. Yes. <laughs> um, or whatever they come up with, right. probably not. My four-year-old grandson is not going to come up with that kind of statement. Right. He might just look at me and go, I don't know, Grandpa, what? But that's okay, too. <laughs> right. You know. Right. You can have conversations. So I'm thinking as we're having this podcast about Unit 3, these podcasts are replacing our monthly webinars. Right. But I do want to be sure we link in our show notes to the monthly webinar that we did last year on Unit 3 because we had more time to talk about it then. Sure. But can you just briefly touch on the stylistic techniques and why Unit 3 may be a good time to introduce some new ones? Sure. Well, one of the things people notice right off about stylistic techniques is, you know, as soon as you give kids a list of LY adverbs to choose and put one in each paragraph of a composition, there's an appropriateness challenge there. If you're working in the world of nonfiction and fact, you can't just grab any word and stick it in it might change the the fact. Mm-hmm. It might change the underlying nature of the statement that you're making, and that makes people feel uncomfortable, which is why, in general, it's easier to introduce new style techniques when you're on the kind of the fiction, narrative, inventive side of things. Mm-hmm. So in Unit 2, when you're working with Aesop fables, it's easy, you know, There's lots of options for L-Y word or connecting up ideas with a witch clause or a strong verb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Same thing with unit three. Because it's this inventive process, it's okay to elaborate. It's Mm -hmm. okay to put one in and you're not having to be obedient to the facts. It's harder in unit four. So uh, as you introduce the stylistic techniques, hopefully everyone understands fully the easy plus one rule. And so if the one or two or three or whatever you've taught so far in unit one and two appear to be easy for your students or most of them, then you can introduce the next style technique. Maybe you moved into strong verb or maybe you're with older Mm -hmm. kids, you're moving into quality adjective. And now it's relatively safe, I guess, Mm -hmm. would be the thing. Here's a bunch of options. Use one. It's not going to rip up or change or frustrate the reader with a change in factual information. Whereas unit four, that's going to be a little bit tougher right? uh, because you have to be now obedient to the facts, which I assume we'll talk about next month. We will. We'll talk about unit four next month. As we wrap up, I do want to mention to our listeners just a couple of resources that we have. One is I've mentioned already the webinars. So please do click on the sh- look at the show notes and find the link to our webinar. Also, look into the resource A Word Right Now because that has L-Y adverbs, mm. quality adjectives, strong verbs, all organized according to character qualities. It is the ultimate perfect kids thesaurus, yep. really. Uh, and you can get the whole book on an app, too. That's right. If you so prefer. Our, yeah. yeah, so we'll also put a link to our mobile app. We have two versions. One is a free version. One is a paid one. The paid one is based on the book Award Right Now, so yeah. that's very handy. And then the third thing I want to mention is our Magnum Opus e-newsletter. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. Every month during the school year, we send out a 
e-newsletter. This is different than our print or our e-pub magazine. But the newsletter focuses on the unit of the month. And of course, this month's unit is Unit 3, Retelling Narrative Stories. So, Andrew, it's always it's a pleasure to pick your brain. And I'm sure our listeners also appreciate your insight into Unit 3. Thank you. It's always good to do it. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.